So take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy. We've been, we've been studying the book of 1 Timothy together uh, because what we want to do together is build a healthy understanding of what church is. Um, and so now we're getting into our summer months. Obviously, Memorial Day weekend, we're getting into our summer months. And so kind of what we want to do over the next several weeks throughout June and July and August is reemphasize some of the things that we've been talking about for the last almost year now, as Mark alluded to earlier. Um, some of the things that we've really pressed in on, we want to make sure that we have those in our, in our heads and, like Mark said, more importantly, our hearts. And our understanding of what the heart is, is our whole being. It's all of who we are. We want a holistic understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to do all that he commands us, to love our neighbor. And so that's where we're going as we're studying through 1 Timothy. Remember, this book was written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. It was in the form of a letter, wrote it to Timothy. Um, and he was encouraging Timothy as Timothy was, was uh, as he was serving the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus had some stuff going on, as all churches do. The, the church is a, a, a people, but the people who are still inhabited by sin. Um, and so he knew that there were some things going on and that they, what they needed was gospel truth to impact their lives day in and day out. And some of the things that he's given to us look like laundry lists, but one thing that we've wanted to emphasize throughout this entire process of looking at 1 Timothy is that none of those things, none of those qualifications given for elders, given for deacons, given for uh, servants, we're going to look today what it means to, to care for each other, and there's a whole list of qualifications. All of those qualifications come and flow out of an understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. All of these things are gospel-impacted issues. Um, we don't come to this text and say, okay, uh, now I'm going to write down each, each item, and then I'm going to go through my day and check all of these off. That's not what we do. But even, again, as Mark alluded to this morning, we, as a people, press into the gospel. And these are the natural outflow of, uh, of pressing into the gospel. Anything that Paul is telling Timothy here is, first and foremost, a gospel issue. So this, mor so this morning, as we get to 1 Timothy chapter 5, um, I want to remind us last week of what we talked about. We sort of took a detour. We went to 1 Peter last week, and we talked about the affections and what it means to be affected by the gospel. So as we move into 1 Timothy 5 this morning, this is our hope, is that, again, this is not an intellectual exercise. Again, that we're not modifying our behavior, but we're pressing into the good news of the gospel and allowing it to affect us in every way possible. Okay, so 1 Timothy 5, we're going to take the first 16 verses of 1 Timothy 5 this morning. And I've titled my sermon, do we have, is it a PowerPoint? We don't have it? Oh, crazy. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so you're just going to have to listen real closely and, and, and not, uh, not look to the screen. Okay, so uh, this, uh, this text here primarily has to do with my, the, the sermon title this morning, The Church as Family. So um, let's read these, these verses together, and then we will uh, we'll, we'll dive in. 1 Timothy 5, 1-16 Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows, 
who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put in the list only if she is not less. Uh, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than sixty years old, having been the wife of one man, having a good reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted in those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard, in, in, in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, and they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has, de has dependent widows, she must assist them. And the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Okay, so this text is interesting. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. And at first glance, this is probably one of those texts that you read through and you say, Okay, great, Paul, that's, that's great. Uh, moving on to the next few verses. Okay, but there are some really important concepts here for us to digest this morning. Um, and I'm going to give you the big idea coming out of this text. Um, the first two verses are really important that we have this long sort of uh, fleshing out of what it means to care for widows in verses 3 through 16. We're going to talk about all of that this morning. But this is the big idea coming out of this text this morning. The church is designed to function as family through gospel-impacted relationships and gospel-impacted care. Again, that gospel impact part is very, very important for us. Again, the church is designed to function as family through gospel-impacted relationships and gospel-impacted care. So we're going to talk about those two things. We're going to take the first two verses to begin with, and then we're going to move and talk about this, this whole uh, big chunk of text, verses 3 through 16, in the care of widows. Now, your Bible might get a heading there. It says probably something along the lines of, like, honor widows or something along those lines. Um, that's nice. Um, those are not inspired. So just go ahead and toss that out. There's a whole lot going on here than just honoring widows. Um, and even that's a little bit deceptive in the way that it is. Those are not inspired headings. God did not tell, to, uh, tell Paul to write to Timothy headings in his letter to him. So the text is, is, is what we're, we're looking at. Um, be aware sometimes those uh, give us a, a little bit of a... They're just trying to sum up what's coming. And sometimes they're not always... 100% uh, uh, all-encompassing. So first thing that we're going to talk about this morning is gospel impacts relationships and what those look like. 
Um, and really, honestly, uh, what they look like is something very, very similar to what we would see as our earthly families, right? Gospel-impacted relationships within the context of the local church look like relationships that you have with your dad, with your mom, with your brother, or with your sister. Um, okay, so let's, let's take these two verses and look at these and sort of break these down, right? Paul tells Timothy, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. I think what Paul is saying to Timothy here is, hey, there are older guys in your midst who have a lot of life experience and who have a lot of things and a lot of biblical understanding and knowledge. We should go to those guys and they, they should be respected um, as the leaders within the church. Um, notice what Paul doesn't say when we look at this text. What he doesn't say is old guys are always right. Um, and, and well, well, uh, well, Honestly, we should respect them and weigh everything they have with, with a lot of, uh, with a lot of uh, understanding. We should take and these, 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 uh, the, the thoughts and the experiences and the, the biblical understanding that they have and weigh them heavily. Um, what he's not saying is that they get everything right all the time. And he says, so he says, appeal to them. So there's almost this understanding as you're making an appeal, like, hey, um, what, why don't we think about this? Okay, let's think about this together. Um, he even says to appeal to them, which could well imply disagreement on some level between Timothy and maybe some of the older men, even in the congregation in Ephesus. But appeal to them as fathers. Um, some of you know to be the case that when you... Uh, some of you know to be the case that you have a father in your life, uh, and that th th that relationship is a really positive relationship. Um, some of you might uh, might you know be able to go to your dad with anything and, and ask him and respect him and take his word as, as truth because you know that he's being impacted by the gospel because you know that he's living his life according to what Scripture commands. Um, but but some of us don't have all of that experience, right? Maybe, maybe your dad was a guy who, who loved your mom and who, who raised you well and who, uh, who sacrificed it all to sort of just make it go in your family. Maybe that was your, your situation. But for some of you, your thoughts were, well, my dad doesn't deserve a whole lot of respect. And so when I look at this and not sharply rebuke an, old, an older man, um, I think to myself, well, my dad, my dad abandoned us or just left us alone or um, he wasn't around. Uh, maybe he was married to his career or wasn't engaged in the home. Um, or maybe more, more extremely left physically, just left your family. Um, and so um, if that's you this morning, here's, here's an admonition, and here's what this text is, is pointing us to. There's a pool of guys in the local church who exist to, to provide those types of relationships for you. There are guys in the local church who want to disciple, who want to mentor younger men, and, and want to build into them, regardless if they had a good dad or not. They want to be people who, who live out the, the, the one another's, who live out gospel impact by being a father in the context of the local church. To pass on that life experience, to pass on uh, their, their understanding of biblical things. So older men, this is an admonition to you too. Start thinking about ways that you can do that. There's a lot of younger guys in here. If, you're, if, you, if you have kids who are adult children now, one way that you can build into this congregation is by, by spending time with guys who have young kids or who are single um, and who are looking to uh, become and to walk in the ways and walk in, in a life that is impacted by the gospel. We need spiritual fathers in the life of Buffalo City Church. We need that. 
We need men to step up to the plate to uh, lead and guide. Just because your kids are out of the house now doesn't mean that you get to punch out. Like that's, that's part of what it means to live within the context of a local church. Okay, so Paul then moves on to, to he says, to younger men as, as brothers. Okay, so, so this one is, is, is a little bit different. We're, we're going to see the mothers and then, and then sisters for younger women. Um, my, my boys are three and, and one and a half right now. Um, and they're kind of like constantly beating up on each other and like kicking each other in the face and things like that. Um, but but for but but at the at their core, I see that they're 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 young, but they're being shaped, and they're being shaped as as good friends, and they and they can call each other on things, and I see I see this happening in the life of even my my brothers in law, where they're where they're they have these these relationships where they can be calling one another and saying, hey, you know, I understand that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and so I'm going to live in relationship to uh, my biological brothers so that we can build each other up and understand what it means to fight the good fight. So brothers, they beat up on each other a bit, um, but at the end of the day, they've got each other's backs, and that's, that's another portrait for us in the local church. Like, we're all, like, men, we're brothers. Like, we're brothers. We're a band of brothers that need to come around. And we have this identity that's found in Jesus first and foremost. And so if we have that identity that's found in Jesus, then, then we can come together and we can, we can pour out our problems to each other. We can encourage one another. We can love one another in the way that Christ um, intended for us. Okay. Paul then says to the older women, this is verse 2 now, the older women as mothers. Appeal to uh, older women as mothers. Okay, so Mother's Day was a few weeks back, and so um, just, just go down like memory lane with me and think about your mom. Maybe it's not that hard because maybe it wasn't that long ago. Or maybe it is, maybe it was a long time ago. Um, my wife, for instance, was cleaning up a lot of uh, bodily fluids this week um, with sick kids. And, uh, and so think about the way that your mom cared and nurtured and provided for you. Um, um, Tev, our youngest, had a stomach bug this week, and so Rebecca was dealing with that Abel this morning had a stomach bug, and so we're just kind of like, we're in the thick of this sickness, right? Um, so, like, I get a call at 6 a.m. when I'm at work, and, and Rebecca's like, I'm, I got Tev in the bathtub right now because I woke up, and there was things everywhere. <laughs> um, and so, for him, again, he's one and a half, but he doesn't get it. Like, he just doesn't get that. But there will come a day where he does. And so for us, as people, think about our moms and all they endure, all of the things that are going on in, in the world of, of, of kids from, from infancy to leaving the house. And I think what, I think I can speak for Rebecca when I say that what would be a win is that it would all be worth it cleaning up these things if at the end of, the, our, her, of our children's time at home, they would grow up, that they would put their trust in Jesus, they would believe the gospel, and then that they would go out and interact with others in the local church like this, like Paul is speaking, and like Paul is uh, telling Timothy that people within the context of the local church should act. Um, I think it would be a win if, if he treated older women with the same grateful, respectful way that he treats the woman who bears with him in his sickness and cleans up his bodily fluids. And, and moms, like, 
changing diapers, uh, 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 feeding, creating all, making food all of the time and loving no matter what. There's nothing that, that a child can do to, to, uh, to create a barrier between a mom and the love for, for her children. So as a congregation, that we should be treating older women as mothers in that same way. In that same way. And then, and then Paul says to Timothy, he says, uh, treat younger women as sisters in all purity. So this one's a little interesting. I think, I think for us, like, when we think about sisters, we think about protection. Like, for me as a brother, I think about, like, wanting to protect my sister um, so I'm going to get out the metaphorical baseball bat in the, uh, and start cleaning my guns if a boy comes around. Um, I'm going to start doing those things because I want to protect her. I want to protect her heart in a way because, because I know that she might be in a vulnerable position. And this is an exhortation to protect all the young women in the local church. It says that all purity. So doing that in a way that is, is pure, with pure intentions. And, then, and so I gave that example, right? Cleaning guns and, and getting out baseball bats and whatever it is that we do. But, but this is an exhortation not just to, there's a, to, to do that when there's a boy coming by later type of way, but in every area of life. Like in every area of life. In the, in the way that the, those who need to be protected are protected. This is going to propel us into the, into the conversation about the widows as Paul lays this out for Timothy here in, in that big chunk of texts. So, really kind of what Paul is getting at, what he's hinting at us for in, in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 is that relationships within the local church are gospel impacted because the idea that our, is that our identity together is found in Jesus, right? John, in, in his gospel, in the very first chapter, verses 12 and 13, writes this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. Note two things in there. Right to become children of God. If you've trusted Christ, you are God's child. And then, not born of blood, nor flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. We all bear that in common if we are in Christ. Those are things that we have together, an identity that is certain, an identity that is fixed. And so here's the important thing to consider. Paul isn't necessarily giving us a way to, oh, okay, hear me very clearly. Paul isn't giving us a way to think about our relationships with the local church. Paul is giving us, uh, giving us the exact uh, idea. So let me say it this way. But saying that a biological family exists uh, to point us to the relationships we have in the church. So Paul isn't giving us a way to think about relationships within the local church. He's not just saying sister, brother, 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 sister, brother. What he's not doing is doing that. What he's saying is the biological family exists to point us to what our relationships should look like in the local church. And there's a distinction there, right? So what, what's a metaphor for what? What exists more, more primarily than, than the other? What's primary, what's secondary? So relationships in the church aren't a picture of our biological family, but our biological family is a picture of our relationships in the local church. 
Oh, well, how, how can I say that, right? Because we share, if, if we have a brother or sister or a mom or a dad in this room, we share blood, we share genes, we share DNA or whatever it is, all of those biological things, right? But God actually created the biological family to be a tangible, practical picture for us to understand the type of relationships we have in the local church. Why do I say that? Because what binds us together as a biological family is bloodline. What binds us together as a spiritual family is the spirit of Christ. Which is stronger? The spirit of Christ. That's stronger. Our identity that we find in Him binds us together. The adoption, even as Paul writes to John, or as John writes to his readers, um, the right to become children of God, even those who believe in His name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. We as people get so caught up in the physical aspects, the physical components that we dismiss the spiritual side of things. We, as a people, are bound together by something even more dramatic than blood. The Spirit of Christ. Okay. So that's what gospel-impacted relationships look like. It looks like we know that we are put together. This composition, if we contain the people within this room, um, are bound together by something so, uh, so dramatic. So then Paul moves on to talk about widows, right? And verses 3 through 16, long chunk of text here to talk about the widows. And, it, and so what we want to talk about then is, is gospel-impacted care and what that looks like for us. So widows are a bit of a stand-in maybe for our culture, and I want to point out a couple of things that Paul would be writing for us. Um, it's important for us to consider widows as widows, but it's also important for us to consider the principles behind what Paul is writing here. Um, I want to read you this quote. This is from John MacArthur. Um, he's writing about the understanding of this very text for us. Um, he writes this. In the original language, the term translated wid widow means bereft and conveys a sense of suffering or loss or being left alone. The term does not tell us how a woman became a widow, and therefore the cause is not limited to a husband's death. Okay, that's a big thing. Widows indeed is qualified by the term, uh, the, the original language term translated desolate, which means having been left alone. It indicates that no one is able to help her. In ancient times, widows were in an especially difficult position because Honorable employment for women was not readily available. Neither were there any secular institutions to provide for them. Perhaps some could receive help through friends or family, but many lived in poverty, never having received an inheritance. Since the outlook for many was bleak, it was vital for the church to assist them. In fact, we saw in James 1.27, the treatment of widows was a test whereby believers demonstrated the genuineness of their faith. So Paul's use of widow here, we typically in our culture think about widow, we think about a woman whose husband has died. Um, but Paul's definition is a whole lot broader than that. The way that the culture used that term was a whole lot broader than just a woman whose wife has died to a, to a place where um, this is an individual who has been totally abandoned by everyone, right? There is no, there is no secular institution set up to, to help, to support there's no friends or family, but totally abandoned in the world in which she lives. 
So then we see like qualifications that Paul has given for, for, for this care for widows as well. And Paul says that she needs to have her hope fixed on God. She is one who prays, one who has been hospitable and a servant of the local church. And so basically he's coming back to this idea that this is a gospel issue, right? He's saying this woman is someone who's been impacted by the truth of the gospel. And then he says, and Mark Arthur alluded to this in that quote I just read, he says to honor widows who are widows indeed. And honor carries a, for, for us here, as we look at this text, honor carries a financial understanding and a support understanding from a financial, uh, from a financial aspect. He's saying, honor widows. He's saying, support them. Make sure that they have their needs met. Make sure that they're in a place where they can get by day to day. Support them financially. And then when he says, who are widows indeed, this has the understanding that there is no one else around to help. Right? There's no one else around to help. This individual has been abandoned by the system. They've been abandoned by their friends and family, or there's no friends or family around. Are available and remember this is this is first century right so there are a lot of people a family nucleus like you didn't get up and move around like in our married life we've lived in three major cities well three cities in the u.s right we didn't get we got up and moved around a lot and we've been married less than eight years um, but people didn't do that they were born in ephesus and there was a there's a big city like a few miles down the road they didn't know what was going on down there they, they were born in a city, they resided in that city, they stayed there, and they probably stayed their entire life with their entire family. It was very rare for families to break apart and move around. My family lives, you know, several hundred miles away. My, my, my parents live several hundred miles away. That's not uncommon in our world. Um, but that would have been uncommon for them in their world. So, so typically, in most situations, we would have seen that the family would have, uh, would have cared for uh, the, the, the widow. So it was the job of the biological family to care for his elderly. There was a support system in place uh, in the form of biological family. If that wasn't available, then it was the duty of the church to care for the widow. We see that happening in verse 4. Um, Paul is kind of giving this, like, if this isn't available situation, then, then let's care for them. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their parents this is acceptable in the sight of God. Remember we talked about moms changing diapers and making food, like making a return. This is something that's largely lost in our culture too. Our parents get old and sometimes we just shove them in a home. Um, and sometimes that's because of proximity. Sometimes that's because we can't, we can't be there. Um, and so we need to support them financially. But, but what Paul is saying, hey, it's the duty of the family to make sure that, that your family is taken care of and not to, uh, not to pass that off. This, this is what it means to understand the gospel and to be impacted by it and to live out in a way that we recognize. So, so even as I was like giving that admonition to older men here, like if your kids are out of the home, you don't get to punch out, right? If your parents are in a place where they need your direct support, you don't get to punch out. Like, oh, I'm having kids right now, they're little, they're running around, guess what? No, you are called to be a person who makes sure that your parents are in a place where they're supported um, financially and they're supported, um, they're supported uh, in their daily needs. Look at verse 8 then, right? But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. 
And what Paul is saying is that like, you're losing your salvation on this. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that the family doesn't step up to the plate. If the family doesn't step up and care for their elderly. If the family doesn't step up, then they haven't, they haven't been, or they, they're not showing the, an understanding or a, a direct affect of gospel truth. Because they haven't demonstrated a baseline understanding of care that even the unbelievers understand. Right? And so as we come to the end of, uh, end of the discussion, we think, wow, Paul, like this is, this is like almost really judgmental. Because we get to verses 11 through 16, and he starts talking about these younger widows. And we think to myself, like, no younger women? Again, I think that this is maybe a little more rooted in the cultural understanding. Because for younger women, they had ways to generate income, right? Older women typically didn't in the culture. They, they were not necessarily abandoned or being abandoned by, by society. They had, and, and they had a, a way to, uh, to, to generate or to come under into a new family through marriage. And Paul is really the, the core of this this part, especially verses 11 through 16, is an understanding of like the well-being of the church. Because the church is, exists to care for her own, but at the same time, if the church is always pouring out to people who are not necessarily, uh, not necessarily qualified according to what Paul is saying here, the church will quickly be drained and, and miss the mission, um, or at least the, the, the thrust behind the care issue, which is gospel-impacted living. So it almost looks like some stereotypes here because he starts talking about like, uh, you know, they want to get married. They're giving into their desires um, and things like that. You know, they're, they're idle, they're gossips, they're busy bodies. Um, but what Paul is saying here is go back to verse 6. This is important. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even if she lives. And he's asserting that women who give into wanton pleasures, your, your Bible might say self-indulgence. Um, they, that they're pampering themselves first, that they're living it up. Remember, gospel-impacted living is living that recognizes that others' needs are more important than your own. And this is why Paul warns against enrolling younger women. They do have prospects. They, if they have a desire to get married, it is possible for us as a people to desire something more than Jesus, right? This is a gospel issue. Um, and so what he saw is that for some of these younger women, some of these younger widows, it was possible for them to desire to be married more than to serve the church and to love Jesus. It's possible to believe that you will find more joy and satisfaction and contentment. Even as we talked about last week with the affections, it's important, it, is, it is possible to understand that uh, we'll find more joy, satisfaction, and contentment in marriage than in Jesus. And so Paul just simply says, you can go, go get married. Like, that's fine. Um, Paul in, 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 in other places in Scripture says, if women, um, uh, if, 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 if uh, you are free to get married, um, if your husband dies, and vice versa. So remember again, culturally, remember the world in which Paul is writing to Timothy. There's no, there's no eHarmony or Match.com. Um, and so uh, if, if it, would have been, it would have been normal um, for a man, if he saw a woman who was in need, to marry her in order to continue, uh, to, to continue on. This wasn't just like a simply like uh, swipe left, swipe right situation. This was a, a for real like, hey, there's a woman in my community who, who needs support. 
a woman in my community who, who, uh, who desires to have children, um, let me go ahead and marry her. So, so this is the fruit of gospel impact, right? This is fruit of gospel impact. And a widow then who hasn't demonstrated that fruit is dead. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 6. But this isn't new, right? Is it, like, look at verse 6 again. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even while she lives. She isn't impacted by the gospel. She has not received an adoption. Her identity is not in Jesus, but she's dead. But remember, this isn't just like, a, this isn't just like pointing fingers at widows and saying, you guys out there are like, what are you guys doing? That's, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, this is all of us, right? This is all our spiritual state prior to Christ. And Christ is the only way in which we were made alive. He's saying um, she is dead even while she lives. What he's saying is, well, she's dead in her transgression and sins. Her body might be alive and she might be like walking around and talking. But, what she, but spiritually, she's dead. And what Paul isn't saying here is that we shouldn't reach out to those who are outside of Christ or who are hurting in need. Paul is saying that we should prioritize those who have faithfully served the church and who are part of the family, who share the identity, who share a similar adoption. And just like it's the responsibility of the biological family to care for its own, so it's the responsibility of the local church to care for her own. And this is why the identity piece is so important. This is why I said earlier that we have something that binds us more closely than, uh, than blood, right? The Spirit of Christ residing in us, an adoption that's been granted to us in Jesus. And that's something that's, that's more, uh, that binds us even closer than blood. And so if we believe that, if we start to, if we start to believe that, because that's what Scripture teaches us, if we believe that, then we will care for one another in an intentional way. So let me just give you this thought. So the mercy and the care of the church is not an entitlement. Paul is making that very clear here. It's not an entitlement. But what it is, is an outworking of gospel understanding and the understanding that there are those in our midst who have wholly dedicated themselves to the work of the church, who share the common identity, who share an adoption, who are children of God, but find themselves in need of intentional care. There are people in our midst this morning who find themselves in that place. And while widow might be the stand-in right here for, for what that looks like, there are people who are feeling abandoned by their world and the people who are around them. It is our duty as the church to serve those individuals, to identify who they are, and to rally around them with the truth of the gospel and say, here we are. Like, we're here to serve you. We're here to support you financially. We're here to build fences and tear off roofs and, and do all of the things that our community needs now. So let's conclude this morning. Let's think about this text. Again, this is a, this is a bit of a difficult text, but, but again, it's rooted in the understanding that we as a church, we as the people of God, are a family. So this is what I want to impress upon you in conclusion. We get an opportunity. We get an opportunity. We get an opportunity to demonstrate gospel impact by interacting with one another and caring for each other as family. 
Like sometimes we come together and we say, oh, i got to serve my brother, i got to serve my sister, and we feel obligated, and we feel this duty, and we, we feel this pressure, and we feel this guilt, and we feel this condemnation. That's not what Paul is saying here. But what he's saying is we get an opportunity to demonstrate gospel impact by interacting with one another and caring for each other as family. And so my question to you this morning is that something that you care to do. Again, this is coming out of gospel impact, right? If we understand the gospel, if we understand that we as a people, like Paul says here, are dead, but we are made alive because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in sending his son to die on our behalf so that our sin might be taken away, transferring righteousness to us so we can stand before a holy God justified. If we believe that that is true, if we believe that is correct, if we believe uh, and we've put our trust into Jesus, then is that, that should be something that we care to do. So each one of us has a biological dad or mom, and some of us have brothers, some of us have sisters. If, if we have that individual, and you got a phone call like in five minutes when we're done here this morning, um, five minutes will be done. In five minutes we'll be done, um, and, and they said, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, everyone look at the clock, that was awesome. Um, um, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister was, uh, was in a serious car accident last night. What would you do? You would immediately get up and you would get in your car and you would drive to them. You would immediately get up, you would get in your car and you'd drive them. Whether if they were in a thousand miles away or twenty miles away, that's probably the action of your or a plane or whatever form of transportation that you choose. A train, a bike, I don't know. But what would we do that for our brothers and sisters in the room? Would we do that for the people on our left and our right? And that's why it's so important for us to recognize. It's why it's so important for us to recognize that we together in this room, if you trust in Christ, are bound together by something more dramatic than blood. Are we willing to call each other brother and sister? We're like, shake hands this morning. We're like, hey brother, good morning, how are you? We're willing to do that this morning. I don't know if girls, women, do you do that? You say, oh, hey sister. That doesn't sound like something that I've heard recently. But, but it's true that, that that idea is underneath sort of the way that, so guys, hey, what's up, bro? What's up, brother? You talk like that, right? But um, are we willing to do that and to call each other that? But then are we unwilling to care for them despite being bound together by that, that, that thing, the spirit of Christ that is more unbreakable bond than our genes or simply similar parentage? I'm not trying to downplay those things. Like our parentage, our bio, biology, our genes, like those are really, really important. And Scripture doesn't like put those things off and say, well, that's not. But what Scripture does say is that there's something that exists in your world that is greater now than even that. So then the second thing is just a, a question for us to ponder as well. Do we understand the gospel and why it impacts us to be caring, compassionate, community, and faith? Do we understand the gospel and why it impacts us to be a caring, compassionate community of faith? Again, we are dead in our transgressions and sins, but together with Christ we've been made alive and set apart. We've been set apart not to self-indulgence, 
Not to our own wanted pleasures, but we've been set apart to serve others as we have been served. To care for others as we've been cared for. To show others mercy as we have been shown mercy. And to love others as we have been loved. We've not been set apart to walk around and grumble about how tough our lives are. We've not set apart to focus in on ourselves. But to genuinely, we've been genuinely set aside to set our own fleshly wants and desires and our comfort and to serve our brothers and sisters as those with whom we share a deep, unbreakable bond, which is the Spirit of Christ. Our prayer for this church is that we would be that, that we would go from here and that we would think along those lines this week. I'll leave you with this illustration. We, um, I heard a pastor this week say this, and I think it's really good. I think it's really helpful. I said some words this morning. Um, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways. So, like, this morning I get up in front of everyone, and, and what he said is, is like, I think of myself as, like, the quarterback on Sunday morning, right? So, and this is our huddle, right? We're getting together in the huddle, and I'm calling the play. I, I don't know. I didn't play quarterback. I played defense. Um, we we'll get together and we call the play. And I'm going to call the play this morning. And what we can't do is break the huddle and run to the sideline and sit down at the bench and say, that was a great play call. That was a great play call. And then next week, come back and, and we call the play. And you run to the bench and you say, that was a great play call. What we need to do now is take what we've heard this morning and go out and execute we need to take what we've heard and go out and understand that the people in this congregation may be in a place where they need you, uh, where they need you to be willing and view, uh, view any opportunity as one to seize and to serve and to love. That's what my prayer for this church is this morning. Let's pray.